Well, thank you, praise team. Appreciate y'all so much. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Southwest. We're glad you're here, especially if you uh, are a guest for the first time. I just want to remind you, if you are a guest for the first time, or maybe you've been visiting a while, we always like to uh, tell you about our Connection Corner, which is right out these doors and to the right. And after the service, if you'd like to get more information about the church that's available there, or we would also like to get some information on you to keep you updated on uh, things that we have going on here at the church. So please do that if if you're a guest with us today. Um, uh, and we want to welcome those online. Sometimes I forget, I forget that we actually have an online service and people say, hey, we watched you online. It's like, oh yeah, I need to acknowledge other people. So we really are glad that we have that technology and are able to do that. So we welcome you folks as well at home that are worshiping with us. So I got a question for you today. So what what are you willing to do to get something you want? What are you willing to do to get something you want? We all kind of have a, and you might say, well, that depends. Or, or what would you be willing to do in order to get something very important for someone that you love or care about very, very dearly? What would you be willing to do? Now, you may have a story that goes along with the answer to either one of those. Like, well, I'll tell you, one time I was so desperate to get this or needed this that I did this. Or I had a friend or a, a, you know, a family member who needed this, and this was risky, but I did this because that was what's what I needed to do. And again, you may have a story about that. You may ask the question, well, it depends. But our willingness, um, our enthusiasm, our, our motivation to do something can certainly make us go to extremes sometimes, can it? To do things that we may not normally would have done. Well, I want to share a story, and this is a, tr- this is a true story, but it's kind of crazy. So... In Turkey, the country of Turkey, um, uh, soccer is really big there, as they call it, football, okay? Um, but there was a, a, a guy who was just an adamant fan, fan about the club team that was right there in his town. And his name was Ali Demerkaya, and they nicknamed him in the town Yamak Ali, or Crazy Ali, because he was so crazy for the local team there, which is pronounced... Denise Lespor, that was the name of the team, but he was an adamant fan, so much so that he stirred up some kind of controversy at some of the games, so he finally got banned from the stadium. You can't come anymore. It was a misdemeanor, but what he did um, had caused a a, a fan-related incident or incidents, and finally said, you can't come back to the stadium anymore to watch your favorite team. So on the day of this very important match coming up after this against a rival team, He came up with a solution where he could watch the game but not actually be in the stadium. So he rented a crane, okay? He rented a crane and put it outside of the stadium and lifted it up above so that he could watch the game but not technically be in the stadium. And so this went, you know, this went viral and people are going crazy in the stadium because they know Crazy Ollie. Look, there he is. You know, he got a crane. Can you believe this? And everybody's cheering and going crazy and he says, uh, that match was very important for our team, and I had to go to the police station to sign a paper uh, before the game to say that I would not watch the match in the stadium. Then I quickly went to rent the crane. Anyway, they went crazy on social media, and ultimately the police had to come and say, you can't do that, you got to take the crane down. <laughs> and he got a, it says it cost him only an equivalent of our money of $86 to pay for that, but he wasn't cited, cited or fined. And his team won five to nothing that day. So obviously he inspired them. So, you know, that's kind of a crazy story. But what would we do? Well, we've started this sermon series uh, in which I've shared with you the title is One Day or Day One, You Decide. 
And again, I'm kind of haunted by that, that statement. And this statement really forces us to think about in our lives how many times we have plans, we have dreams, we have a vision for our future or something that we want to do, but we never actually carry that out. We never get started with that because we never start day one, do we? We always talk about, well, one day I'm going to, one day I'm going to. And I have a lot of those things in my life. I got a garage full of junk that I one day, you know, and it happens, but we never start day one. And as part of this series, if you've been here or if you haven't, we've been going through the gospel of Mark, or I should say the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. This is his account of the life of Jesus Christ that we find in the New Testament. I've shared that Mark in his account challenges us and everybody that reads it to answer this question, is Jesus Christ really the Messiah? And Mark wants us to answer that question honestly and authentically for ourselves by saying, let me just say, I believe he was the Christ, and I've interviewed people that were with him, but I want you to make that decision. So he just throws it out there in this gospel as we read the pages of Mark. This is what he did. How can you say this guy wasn't the Messiah? There's too much evidence, so he just gives us the evidence. So last week we looked at the calling, uh, if you remember, of the first disciples of Jesus. He calls uh, Simon and Andrew while they're fishing, and it said they immediately dropped their nets and they followed him. Then he goes to another group of brothers, James and John, and they not only drop their nets, but they leave the fishing boat that's a part of the family business, and they leave their dad with all the hired hands, and they just go and follow Jesus as well. And they made this day one decision to start following Jesus. They didn't give him any of this. Well, one day, Jesus, I'll do that, but we're busy. You know, we got a family business. None of that. It was day one. They dropped everything, and they followed Jesus. And they did it immediately, which is one of those Mark words that we hear a lot in his gospel. Immediately. He's a a fast-paced guy. He tells you what's going on. And then we looked at when Jesus went to a certain synagogue in a town, and he started teaching. People heard his teaching, and they were like, who is this guy? You know, all the teachers of the law that we've heard for years and years and years, they teach in a certain way, and but this guy's different. He has something, he teaches with authority, they said. It's different. And so they were, you know, very struck by Jesus' teaching. And Jesus was continuing to show that God's kingdom, as he declared when he first started his ministry, was here now. You know, God in the flesh was on earth. And so today we're going to look at some more of Mark's account and think about this word today as we read willingness. What is your willingness level? What do we see in the willingness level of people as we walk through these? There's going to be a couple of events that we look at. We're going to look at the last part of chapter 1 of Mark, and then we're going to flip to um, the first of chapter 2, and we're going to look at these different events. And what do you see about the willingness of people's hearts and all the characters in these stories? So kind of think about that as we read through that. And we're also going to look at the willingness of four people who said, my friend needs something, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get my friend what he needs. We're going to see that in this as well. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, and then we will go to chapter 2 and read through verse 12. So this is the way Mark tells us about it. He says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing Jesus, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, this may or may not be a, a familiar passage to you or text to you, but I love this story because it's about friends who care enough about their friend to do something, but just how Jesus works this whole thing is amazing. So let's, let's kind of unpack this a little bit, and we go through that first scene where Jesus is approached by a man who has leprosy, and it says, he came to Jesus as a leper. Now, you go, okay, that's significant, y'all, because lepers weren't supposed to go to people, right? We've, learned, we've talked about it a little bit. Leprosy in that day was this horrible curse, and a lot of people believed with really bad theology that was because you had done something wrong and God was punishing you. So this person was an outcast, and if you came close to people, you were supposed to yell, unclean, unclean, don't come near me. But this guy approaches Jesus he knows he's not supposed to go up to people, but he doesn't care because he's willing to take the risk because he's heard probably the Messiah is here. He can heal people, and I'm going to risk it. And this is going to be day one of me at least trying to get healed by Jesus. So he goes to him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And you noticed our text said Jesus was indignant. Now, some of you are reading your own versions. This is NIV. Um, it's not right or wrong. It's just what we use because it's us what's on the computer. Uh, but it says indignant. Now, some of your versions may say, and Jesus had, not indignant, but Jesus had compassion and healed him. So I was kind of like, what's the deal with that? And so I kind of looked that up a little bit. And there's a Greek word, and I'm not going to bore you with all that nerdy Greek stuff. It's important, but you can go down a lot of rabbit trails. And so I read so much, and I was like, okay, you guys are never going to figure this out. But the Greek word actually actually says about Jesus' compassion that it rose up in him. But I thought, why would, why would the, somebody else as a translator say indignant? So I'm just going to kind of talk about that for a minute, uh, is, is why would somebody want to use indignant? Why would he be indignant at the leper's question? And I thought, maybe Jesus was so mad when this guy asked this question, are you willing? Because he had been so beat down by people who weren't even willing to be in his presence. Think about that. You've got to go outside the town. Your own family can't be around you. You have to yell, unclean, unclean, nobody come around me. He was saying, you've believed the lies that you are not valuable because you have a disease. And this made Jesus so upset that he would even go, 
are you willing? He's like, I'm God, of course I'm willing. I created you, and I did not create you to have this horrible disease. I created an abundant life for you, but now you believe because of this and the way people have treated you that you're not worthy of anybody or anything. And that hurt Jesus to the core, I think, maybe. Or maybe he was angered that Jesus was not willing to heal him because no one else wanted to be around him. Maybe Jesus felt indignation about how sin in the world had created leprosy and all these other diseases because he goes, when I created the world, I never meant for people to have diseases. I created a perfect world, but y'all have tainted it because of your sin. We're all responsible for diseases, y'all. Do you realize that? Because of our sin. And that's never what God intended. So either way, Jesus, I don't know if that's right. I don't know what the right right translation of that is. But what we do know is Jesus was compelled to heal this man. Absolutely. Whether it was by this man's comment, by his condition, or by the Holy Spirit or God saying, heal that man, he does it. And then he does something interesting. He tells this man to go. He says, he gives him this strong warning. Don't tell anybody what's just happened to you. Go to the priest. You know that's what you're supposed to do. So this man, if he's been cleansed, he gets to go to the priest and go, look, I can start coming to worship. I can come back in the town because I've been healed. See, I'm not, I don't have leprosy anymore. And he's supposed to literally check out his skin and go, yeah, you are healed. And you can come back into society now. So Jesus tells him to do that, but don't tell anyone. And you go, Jesus, if you're trying to let the whole world know that you really are the Messiah, why are you telling people not to tell? That seems like a really good PR move to tell everybody about it so they'll know who you are. But Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Why keep it a secret? Now, do I really have to kind of go through this after we've just been through Christmas? Because we went through this at Christmas, didn't we? I mean, why would Jesus be born the way he was to this, this unknown teenage couple, basically, and where he was born and the time he was born and all of that? Why? Because God always does things differently than we think, right? God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But there's something to this, telling this man not to tell anybody, but go immediately. And so I read an article this week, and, it, and again, to our way of thinking, Jesus would, you know, we think, you would want everyone to know of this miracle. It's a wonderful thing. But Jesus knew that this publicity in this culture and in this time uh, over all these miracles would eventually have uh, an effect on his mission. He's trying to preach the word of God, the kingdom of God. And if everybody's coming, not because they really want to hear about the kingdom of God and spiritual healing, they're just coming because why? Well, Jesus will heal me. He's the great healer. Let's go and get healed and then we'll see you later. But Jesus goes, it's much more than that. This kingdom of God is much bigger than that. So Mark records that this is exactly what happened. This man sits there and goes, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of like when we tell our kids not to do something, they do it anyway. It's kind of like that, you know. You know, yeah, I hear you, but I'm going to go out and tell everybody. And he does. He disobeys Jesus. And then Mark tells us, as a result, Jesus could no longer go in a town openly, but stayed outside in these lonely desert places. And people still found out where he was. In addition, Christ, though he had cleansed the leper, still required him. He says, by the law of Moses, you know the right thing to do. Now go and get back into your local town, into your temple. Go at once to the priest and don't stop. And talk to people and tell them what happened. Go right to him immediately. And it seems like that Jesus, as the Messiah, understood that there may be people that don't believe you're the Messiah, that don't believe I'm the Messiah, and they're going to go ahead and they're going to tell the priest, hey, this guy's coming, and this, this maverick preacher, this maverick rabbi named Jesus healed this guy, but it was by Jesus, so we know he's not legit, so don't don't let him back in the temple. And we go, oh, people wouldn't do that. 
You know, people did do that, and people we see as we read through the gospel did do stuff like. So Jesus doesn't want him focusing on the miracles, but on the message. Because Jesus' message as a Messiah is, hey, guess what? We're going to take over Rome. That wasn't his message, was it? It was the kingdom of God is at hand, and he preaches and teaches very differently. And we know that ultimately he's going to be a suffering servant. A Messiah isn't a suffering servant, Jesus. And Jesus goes, actually, he is. And that's how I'm going to save the world. And I'm going to go to the cross. And as Jesus got his message out, we know what happened. All the crowds that came in the first part of Mark, guess what? When we get to the end of Mark, y'all, guess what? Nobody's around. Nobody wants to follow a suffering servant. So we see that maybe that's some of the reasons why Jesus says, don't go out and tell everybody. But the guy did anyway, and then we have chapter 2, and there's this house in Capernaum, and it's just packed out with people crowded all the way into the door that no one can even get in. And then we hear about these four men who are carrying a paralyzed man to Jesus, and they end up at this house. Now think about that question again, one day or day one. At some point, these four men or their friend or whatever, they heard... This guy named Jesus claims to be the Messiah. He teaches with authority. He can heal people we know. You might ought to go see him. And these guys are talking. And maybe even this guy goes, can y'all get me? I hear he's in Capernaum. Would you guys carry me to Capernaum? And at some point they had to say, hey, one day we'll do that. One day we'll do that. But no, they said, no, today is the day he's in Capernaum. I know the guy who lives in that house, where he's at. We're going. Let's go. And they go. And they get to the house. And as we read about, They get to the house, and they can't even get in. You can't get in the window. You can't get in the door. People are outside the door just trying to jockey for position to hear what is going on inside of this house that Jesus is teaching. And so those guys could have easily said, oh, well, maybe another day, one day again in the future, maybe we'll try this. But no, they said, no, this is day one. We brought you here to see Jesus, and by God, we're going to see Jesus. And one guy goes, we're going to go up in the house, and we're going to go through the roof. I mean, I can imagine this conversation. Dude, that is not our house. You can't just dig somebody up to their measure. We're going. We are not coming back again. You may never get a chance to see Jesus again. This is day one. You're going through that roof. And they start, and can you imagine Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden all this junk starts falling? You know, it's like a, a grass and, and all this stuff is just falling through. And people are going, what in the world's going on? And then all of a sudden you see light coming in and the roof is off and you see a guy being lowered down. And it's like, uh-oh, how's Jesus going to react to this? He's teaching with authority. Is he going to, you know, call him out and say, what do you think you're doing interrupting my teaching? But Jesus is not bothered by this at all, is he? Jesus loves this. He loves their faith. He loves their willingness. He loves their day one motivation. And he says, in true Jesus forms, he says, he's just like, look, he's got a big smile on his face. And everybody's kind of going, I guess he's okay with it. Maybe we should all clap. What do we do? And they lower the guy down, and Jesus, in true Jesus form, he doesn't say, you're healed. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't say, yet, get up and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven. It's not what I came for, Jesus. Thanks a lot, but I came to get healed. I want to walk again. I mean, that's great, the forgiveness of sins, but I, I want to walk again. Now, And I, as I think about that, that's really what Sometimes our prayers must sound like to God. I don't really, we really want to be healed spiritually, Jesus. I just want you to fix this problem I have right now, right? If you can just heal me, then I'll be okay. And then, you know, I'll we'll worry about the rest of that later. No, Jesus is saying, I understand from that last healing, y'all aren't getting this. It's more importantly to be healed spiritually than physically. 
I'm willing to do both. I have the authority to do both, but it's more important to be healed. And of course, Mark lets us know that this really shook up the teachers of the law. How dare he do this? What is he doing? We're the authority here. We are the religious leaders. What is he doing? And it says they said, why does this fellow... Listen, now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. They're not saying this. They are thinking this to themselves in their head. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Mark says, there's that Mark word about quickly. Immediately, Jesus knew in his heart that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? They didn't say it out loud. They were thinking it in their minds and their hearts. And Jesus knew that. How scary is that? Can you imagine? If I could look at you, one of you right now and go, I know exactly what you're thinking. You were thinking about what you're going to order at lunch today. And you're not listening to a single thing about my sermon. You're like, holy cow. How did he know that? That would freak you out, wouldn't it? I don't have that ability. I can judge you. You can judge me and we can try to judge what I'm thinking and what my motivation is and what my heart is. But we really don't have the ability to do that, do we? But Jesus did. And he said, it says, Mark tells us, immediately in his spirit, he knew what they were thinking. Mark is again asking us, is Jesus the Messiah? You decide. Mortals can't know what you're thinking and know what's in your heart. But this guy knew. And Mark doesn't say yes or no again. He just shows us this picture of Jesus. He knows the teachers of the law were thinking. He knows what's in their hearts. Mortal humans can't do that. And Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? Why? Now, if you're not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah yet, and he just told you what you were thinking, you might want to change your mind and heart. You have a heart problem and you have a mind problem. Why are you thinking these things? And then he says, which is, it, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk home? Now, was Jesus talking about number of words? Your sins are forgiven is four, but the other one I just said is seven. So I really should say the four because that's less words. Is that what Jesus was talking about? Of course not. He said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. But he said... Before I tell you that, I want you to know, he said, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he does that first. Why does he do it first? Why didn't he heal him and then say, oh, and by the way, your sins are forgiven? No, he's letting them know. I know what's in your minds. I know what's in your hearts. And I'm going to say, forgive your sins first, because only someone from God or God himself can do that. And Jesus says, exactly. Because I'm going to say your, your sins are forgiven first. And then I'm going to heal you. And that's what Jesus did. And so when that man picked up his mat and walked out of there in front of everybody, it confirmed that he was who he said he was. Why? Because if he really wasn't from God, why would God allow him to make that claim and then heal the guy? Y'all follow me on that? It's amazing. He has this authority, but he, he does it in reverse because he's trying to show them the religious leaders in your midst are really not the people that you need to be listening to. Isn't that scary? It's scary. But Jesus is not upset about this man. He just says, you've just identified that this kingdom of God is really here. It was more confirmation that he really was. Jesus is demonstrating to everyone, but especially those who are not willing to believe that he is the Messiah. If I didn't have the authority to forgive sins, and that is what I said first, man, why would God allow him to get up and walk out of here? 
Because God is in this. He demonstrated his power, his authority, and his messiahship once again. And this is a different healing than the one before. Now, it may have been day one in a lot of ways for this paralytic man. This is day one of the first day he's walked in who knows how many years. But it is many days into Jesus showing that this kingdom of God is clearly present. I am the Messiah, and I'm clearly present in the life of people. So why do we need to know all this? Just because it's a cool story? Well, some of us are unwilling to start day one or start a real quest to find answers about, is Jesus really the Messiah? Some of us are sitting here maybe today, maybe online, and we might say, one day, but not today. I'm just too busy. You know, I'm a believer, but one day I'm going to get closer to Jesus, and I'm really going to be a follower of Jesus, but not now. I'm just too busy. I'll have time later, but not right now. Or maybe some of y'all are mad at God right now. Say, you know what? I get all that, but I'm just mad, because if he has that authority, he has that, and you know what? I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what's in your heart, but Jesus does. And and I think he's indignant that your heart is so broken that you've rejected him because of something bad that happened in your world. But he does know about it, and I really believe he cares about it. Or maybe you're just going, you know, that's that's crazy stuff. Messiah dying on a cross for the sins of the world. How does that solve the, the world's problems? And then resurrecting, really, is that real? I mean, it sounds good, and maybe it motivates people for you, Craig, but... Does it really change anything? You see, that kind of unbelief and unwillingness did not stop Jesus that day from preaching, did it? He didn't say, oh, well, the religious leaders don't think we should do this, so we're not going to heal this man. Oh, sorry, I guess I got off the agenda. I didn't ask your permission, religious leaders, if I should heal him or forgive him. (laughs) It didn't happen, did it? Jesus said, I don't care how many people are unwilling to believe, I'm not going to stop healing and loving and transforming lives. It didn't keep him from going forward with what God had called him to do in the world and to be in the world. It didn't stop his willingness to go to the cross for all of our sins and suffer and die in our place. Think about that. Jesus has known throughout history, y'all, that there's some people that continue to reject him and say, yeah, I don't need that. Their unwillingness to believe in him and become a disciple, he still went to the cross, knowing what people were thinking and knowing what was in their hearts. Does that not blow you away? I mean, it's like Chad said to me, does that not make you want to worship different, right? You know, when we really think about that. So which is easier to do? Simply let you die, you and I and our sins and the whole world and be eternally separated from God? or to die on the cross as the atonement for all of humanity so that he could show that God really does love the whole world. And because he loved the whole world, he gave. And he didn't give up, he gave his one and only son. Think about that. Even though he knew our hearts and minds weren't maybe right, he says, I'm still going to do this. They'll come around. I love them. I believe in them. And every time Jesus showed up, people were challenged to either have a willingness to believe him as the Messiah or to have an unwillingness to believe he really wasn't the Messiah. So wherever you have been in your life today with Jesus and in life, it can be changed by your willingness to trust him and believe him and make this day one to believe and follow him. And maybe somebody needs to do that today. So we're going to offer that opportunity as we always do here there may be somebody today that needs to do that and y'all you know what it's it's risky isn't it it's scary and you know I know maybe some of you are thinking about that but you are I'm not going forward that's embarrassing I get all that so if you aren't 
willing to come up front today, that's okay. But if you'd like to talk to somebody, our staff, we're always available during the week. Or, or find a friend that you know is a believer and talk to them. Don't put that off. Make it day one of saying, I need to get this straight in my head. Is Jesus really the Messiah? And I want to willingly come to him and surrender my life. So if you need to do that day, or you're looking for a church home, we're certainly not perfect. We got our stuff. But we're a church that believes that he is the Messiah and we point people to him to change their thinking and to change their hearts. So we offer that. So let's stand together and sing as we get ready to prepare our hearts for communion. If you didn't get communion, if you notice today, our communion is back in this room today. It's like, hey, new concept, you know, in the room. And so you grab one of those. And, and as we, uh, as Chad leads us, um, we're going to try to prepare our hearts for communion as Jesus asks us to. And then uh, if somebody has a decision to make, we just pray you'll come forward at this time. So let's worship.